I'm in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter number one. And I think I want to pick it up at the 11th verse. What is so funny is when you had the 11th verse right there, you go back into the app and it has thrown you off onto some other verse. <laughs> These things happen. So it reads, and this is the context in which John the Baptist is born. This is really talking about the birth of John the Baptist. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias, who was John the Baptist's father, saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great. Now I'm going to say it again. For he shall be great. Hmm. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. What? Filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. Woo! And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. So I'm going to speak into our collective consciousness and our prophetic destiny uh, from this subject, from good to great. From good to great. And would you pray with me and invite the Holy Spirit to reign over this moment? Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we are in your awesome presence basking in the sunlight of amazing grace. We are hungry for you, desperate for you, and as the deer pants for the water, our soul is longing after the living God. We need more of you now. We need more of you now. We want you to reign on us. We want you to reign in us. We want your word to become light illuminating our understanding, helping us to see more clearly than ever before. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in God's holy mountain. Wake up the sleeping giant. Wake up the sleeping potential that is among us. Wake up our destinies of greatness. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we have prayed and all the saints said, Amen. 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 Thank you. So I'm going to leave the reading for a while and hopefully get back to it on time. And I'm going to go back to the beginning. The Genesis is the book of origins. And if you want to understand the nature of a thing, the place to start is its origin, its beginning. And so in the Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we learn that God made 
everything for man, but he made man for himself. Mm -hmm. God did not make the mountains, the rivers, the valleys, the birds, the fish, the cattle for himself. He made them for man. But he made man for himself. And he thereby says, you can have all this so long as I can have you. This is your domain. Have dominion over it. But your heart must be my domain. Which is why it's so tragic when people commit idolatry by making things more important than God. When you were made by God, for God, and get ready for this, from God. Oh, let go to hell. You were made by God, for God, from God. So what, God made me out of himself? Yes. Yes. Yes, God breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. And man became a living mind. That breath came out of God into the ceramic that was Adam. That's what turned the pottery, the pottery into a living soul. And so each of us at a spiritual level have the God gene. We inherited divine genetic codes and information. We are fundamentally spiritual. Paul says we are his offspring. And therefore, God made us for himself. And he loves us more than anything in the world. He'll sacrifice things to have you. Notice that even though man is the purpose and the point of the creation, God doesn't bring him into the picture until the last and final stage. The creation happens in stages. Let there be light. Let the waters be separated and a firmament separate the waters below from the waters above. Let the waters be gathered to one place Let the dry land appear. The purpose and the point was man, but God is patient enough to bring the man in at the last stage. Now, some people are impatient and they'll cut to the chase. But there's a reason why God waits 
to the final stage to bring in man, and it is because God is more concerned with the survival of the man than he is the arrival of the man. For if God was impatient and would have cut to the chase and made man on the first day, the man would have been dead by the second day. Because there was no infrastructure, no ecosystem capable of sustaining his life. So God in his wisdom will patiently create infrastructure. Order. Organization. And an ecosystem capable of sustaining what he is ultimately trying to build. And God teaches us right there. There is no success without succession. There is no success without sustainability. Now I'll show you this a little bit further. I'm going to tell you why God can be very patient when working on his projects. Why he patiently waits till the last stage before he brings man in, even though man was the purpose of the whole thing. It is because clearly God's vision was never the production of one man and one woman. It was never about just Adam and Eve. Which is why he created man with reproductive capacity. You will note that every living thing has reproductive properties and capacity. That every herb of the field had seed in it. Come on now. Capable of reproducing after its own kind, producing more of the same. So if God made a tree, he made the tree to have more trees. Oh, they go to hell. If God made cattle, he made the cattle to have more cattle. God made a bird, he made the birds to have more birds, and he put in the birds the properties and the capacities and the tools for reproducing because God's vision was never one man, one woman. God's vision was that the one man and the one woman would be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it all. In other words, he had a big vision. It wasn't a small vision. It wasn't a vision of a garden. Garden was the starting point. Replenish the earth. What? The earth. That's called a global vision. Y'all ain't going to help now. And, and you can get confused when you see someone working on a project when you, and, and not understanding why the patience and the, the precision and the excellence and the attention to detail is being played. You get confused until you realize the scope of the vision. That actually what we're doing is we, we are facilitating more. So we are creating the mechanism that will ultimately be magnified or multiplied. Because God is the God of the, of the everlasting increase Woo! and of multiplication. So God's vision was not small. 
God's vision was not a garden. God's vision was not one family. God's vision was the reproduction and the multiplication of that family until the whole world was populated by his children. Woo! Somebody say amen. It was a global vision. It was a generational vision. A what? A generational vision. Because you're going to have children who are going to have children who are going to have children who are going to have children. And that is the only way that we're going to repopulate the earth. So God is thinking globally and God is thinking generationally. <laughs> and God is thinking great thoughts, not just good thoughts. Because you see, your idea is good if it benefits you. But it is not great until it is of service to people you will never meet. Oh, help me now. Your idea is good so long as it benefits you, but it's not great until it is of service to people you will never meet. That's a good quote. Bishop Wayne Malcolm said that 2022. February, I was there. Print the t-shirt. <laughs> Think about this. Uh, the Bible teaches that when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, Levi, who was not yet born, and was the great grandson of Abraham. The Bible says that Levi paid tithes in Abraham. Because he was yet in his loins when Abraham met Melchizedek. Just act like you know. <laughs> Abraham met Melchizedek, the priest of God, and gave him 10% of all the spoils of his victory. According to the Bible, Levi, who would not be born for four generations later, was a beneficiary of Abraham's beliefs and behavior. That simply means that your beliefs and behavior, your choices, your decisions, your actions have a material impact on your descendants to the third and fourth generation. I'm going to help now. The good you do today will create an advantage for at least your great-grandchildren. Yep, yep, you're slow with the clapping, but I'm going to catch you right now. Because Levi is blessed before he is born. Because of the behavior and beliefs of his great-grandfather. Additionally, God says to Moses, I am a jealous God. And I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. In other words, your bad choices, your wrong beliefs... Your bad behavior will have a negative material impact on your bloodline to the third and fourth generation, which is your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. So if, in fact, my great-grandchildren 
can benefit from the good choices I make or become disadvantaged by the bad choices that I make, then I cannot afford the luxury of dreaming, planning, and working for myself. I have to have generational dreams, generational vision, generational goals, and generational plans. Because whatever I do in my life will have a material impact on multiple generations to the third and the fourth generation. Everybody say the fourth generation. That fourth one is interesting because the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Who are your children's children? They are your grandchildren. They are the third generation. Woo. It calls him a good man. It does not call him a great man. Y'all ain't going to help. You are not great. Oh, help me now. And we will not call you great until a fourth generation. Think about it. You're going to be grandma and you're going to be grandpa. But when a fourth generation appears, you become great grandma and great grandpa. Because greatness is a generational value. You can be good in your lifetime, but you cannot be great unless your, your life and your legacy has a material impact, a positive material benefit on a fourth generation. So that at the very least, we must be thinking four generations deep. Help me now. At the very least, we must be thinking four generations deep. And I know the struggle. You're thinking, <laughs> it's a bit late for that, Bishop. <laughs> Go ahead and preach to them young people because uh, that's not quite my position. So let me tell you and remind you that biblically, biblically, um, succession is not limited to biology. There is something called functional succession. Functional succession, operational succession, and strategic succession. And we learn this biblically from the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. Elisha inherited the mantle of Elijah, but Elisha was not biologically related to Elijah. Uh, and we learn this from the, from the epistles in which Paul refers to Timothy and Titus as his sons. But they are not biologically related to him. They are sons because they have inherited a certain DNA and a genetic code. They are sons because there is the image and likeness of the father that is within them. Elisha is Elijah's son because you can see Elijah in Elisha. And that came through mentoring. Oh, y'all ain't going to help. That came through mentoring and proximity. Because if you hang around with someone long enough and you don't have a beef with them, you're eventually going to sound like them. You're eventually going to laugh like them.
came into church with a nice cute laugh. <laughs> but you hung around the bishop and now ah! Because I ain't got a cute laugh. My mother has told me off about the laugh so many times. Huh? <laughs> Reality is, you begin to reflect the company that you keep. And so there is, a, there is a DNA, there is a genetic, it's functional, it's operational, it's strategic, it is not biological. And, and God, who in the beginning had a generational vision, shows us in the word that you must be dreaming, thinking, planning, and scheming for at least four generations deep. They may not be biological generations, but they must be generations of DNA transfer. Whether it's functional, operational, or strategic, you have got to reproduce. Living things reproduce. Reproduction is an evidence of life. Come on, somebody. It's evidence of life. It does, it's not limited to biology, and I'm steering clear of biology right now. I'm steering clear of it right now because it doesn't work. That message doesn't work for everyone. Okay? Youth Congress? Okay, let's talk about that. But midlife is a whole nother question. Isn't that right? So here's the point. The point is that you are made to reproduce. If God blessed you with an anointing to preach, it is your duty to reproduce preachers. Y'all ain't going to help. If God anointed you to sing, it is your duty to reproduce singers. If God has blessed you with a gift and a calling and a talent, it is your job to reproduce that. And you may not be able to reproduce it biologically, but you certainly can reproduce it functionally by becoming a mentor, a coach, and fertile ground around which people can grow. You have to be the kind of person that is so delivered from insecurity that you're able to celebrate the rise of new talent, of new capacity, of new ability. You are not to get threatened or intimidated by someone who can do it better than you. Let me tell you why. Because God's plan is that each new generation does it better than the last. Each new generation does it better than the last. That's called the compound interest on God's investment in your life. God's not into just addition. He doesn't want to just add to you. He wants you to multiply, which is a mathematic miracle that takes small things and turns them into big things almost overnight. See, if you're under your mentor, you're not supposed to worship the mentor as though nothing will ever be bigger or better than that. What you're supposed to say, like Elisha, is God, give me a double portion of that spirit. Hear it? I need twice as much. Why? Because I'm facing twice as much. I'm dealing with twice as much. In my generation, I got to fight demons that my fathers never had to fight. Woo! Come on, somebody. I got to face challenges that they never even imagined exist. So you can't take my, you can't just take my anointing and face your devils. 
You need a double portion. You need the reproduction. And you need to be reproducing better. Woo! Kind of twisted, isn't it, for a father to just not want his sons to exceed him. And I guess we all start with that twist. Come on, fathers, let's admit it. We start with that twist. We're like, come on, son, let's arm wrestle. (laughs) Come on, son, let's go for a race. (laughs) I know you can just about walk, but let's race. (laughs) We start with that twist where we want to beat them at table tennis. We want to beat them at pool. We want to beat them in the race. We want to beat them in the arm wrestle. You want to get into a wrestling match and triple suplex and all this stuff. You you, You get into this zone. But there comes a point in the maturation of the child, you want them to get stronger than you. You want them to get wiser than you. You want them to make more than you. You want them to make better choices. You're looking at the bad choices you made and you're passing it and you're passing on wisdom. Can somebody say pass on the wisdom? Say pass on the wisdom. Because let me tell you the problem with our generation. The problem with our generation is that we are too obsessed with what is being left for us. When you need to obsess about what is being left in you. Because if I can leave something in you, you can take that and make anything that you need to make. But if I leave something for you and haven't left anything in you, you will squander the thing that was left for you and you will still be back in the same place. And it is always tragic to see folks inherit assets, inherit machinery, inherit tools, inherit opportunity and squander it because you didn't pay attention to the spiritual legacy. The spiritual handout. And so you've got to get some people around you and begin imparting. That takes some transparency that I'm not sure we're ready for as a church. Yeah, we're not ready for trans. We don't, we don't, we're not ready for transparency. We got, we got mothers in Zion. Hmm? We got mothers in Zion looking at teenagers disapprovingly. But when you check how old their first child is. The same ones looking down at the young ones had their children younger than them. So at some point we got to get transparent and say, brother, the reason I'm talking to you is because I made those mistakes. Sister, the reason I'm talking to you is because I made those mistakes. I don't want you to make the mistakes that I made. And that's why I'm out here mentoring you and supporting you and encouraging you. That's why I'm part of your circle of accountability because I didn't have one and I made my own mistakes. So I'm, I'm done. John the Baptist said, look. Or... God said to Zechariah, this boy is going to be great. It's not just going to be good. He's going to be great. How are you going to be great? You're going to be great because you're going to turn many of the children of Israel back to God. You're going to turn the fathers back to their children. You're going to turn the children to the wisdom, the unruly to the wisdom of the wise. 
You're going to reconnect generationally, and that makes you great. You can have a good dream and a good vision that benefits you, but it'll never be great until it benefits people you will never meet. And until you have a great vision, you're not going to be able to make sensible choices. You're going to make choices out of a temporary emotion. Can I talk about temporary emotion? Are you sure? You're going to let me do it? Some of you are scared. All right, let's take the full spectrum of emotion, right? Take your highest joy. Take your deepest sorrow. You ready for it? It will pass. It's temporary. Your highest joy. It's going to be great. It's going to pass. Your deepest sorrow. It's going to pass. I don't know. Some people, two years later. Come on now. <laughs> it's supposed to pass. <laughs> so it would be a mistake to make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion. Because it will pass. So you have to make permanent decisions based on other factors. The depth of your dream. The depth of your vision. The depth of your purpose. The depth of your plan. It will enable you to make smart choices. And you're going to say, look, I can't hang with you. It's not that I don't enjoy your company. But this is incompatible with my vision. Because I'm, I'm not just out here to be good. I am called to be great. And I need to connect with people who have greatness in their heart. Who want to do something that's bigger than us that lasts longer than us, that will touch people we'll never meet. I want to make a mark, a mark that can never be erased. Just bow your head with me, I wanna pray with you. You know I could go on, I really could. Feels like I just shared my introduction with you. But I feel like it's done, something's done. God's transitioning us from good thinking to great thinking. We are moving beyond our inheritance and beginning to look at our legacy. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for every person under the hearing of this prophetic and apostolic word. I pray that you will seed in us the spirit of greatness, a hunger for greatness, a vision of greatness, 
vision that has generational value, a vision that has succession, and the patience to go to work on an infrastructure capable of sustaining our vision. God, help us to be like you in our patient execution of a long-range vision. Get us out of the short term. Get us out of the temporary. Get us up into the generational is our prayer in Jesus' name. Now, while you're still in that prayer mode, a study was done on social mobility. And this study on social mobility sought to identify the reasons why some families move up the socioeconomic scale over a period of time while others move down. And the researchers were surprised at the findings. They thought, well, some families would move up because they had an advantage, they inherited some advantages. Or they would move up because of education. Or they would move up because of race. They would move up because of opportunity. But they found many of those people sliding down over a period of time. Generationally, some of the people that inherited the biggest opportunity and assets actually slid down the social economic scale as they squandered the assets. And then they found other families who, who went from nothing and over this period of time just moved up and up and up and up the social economic scale. And the question was, why? What is the reason? And the answer was time perspective. Said the families that had long time perspective, they moved up the social economic scale. Whilst others who had a short time perspective, they moved down. They said the families that moved up, when the baby was born, they opened an account for the baby. And they started depositing little bits into the account. And in 20 years time, the baby had it, the young person had advantages, was able to pay for things. Come on now. And they said that these people were saving and investing from very early. They had these financial disciplines. They had disciplines that meant that they were, because for some reason they could see 20 years. But the others, their time perspective was so short, some of them could only see the next month. And they were living for the month. Fighting for the month. Dying for the month. And they said right at the bottom of the scale was the drug addict. Who was living for the moment. Whose time perspective was the next 10-15 minutes. All I'm worried about is my fix. It's going to give me a high for the next 10 or 15 minutes. These people slid down. God is challenging us. To patiently 
work on a long-term plan. Start thinking about stuff that you might not benefit from in the short, but everything around you is going to benefit from in the long. Because that's great thinking. That's greatness. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.